Hi everybody, welcome to another Trek No Babble podcast. This is Matthew. And this is Kevin. And we are going to do the Deep Space Nine Season 6 episode, Valiant. Um, I think in some ways this is kind of similar to uh, some Voyager stories, especially uh, the Captain Ransom story arc in Voyager. Um, what was their ship called? The Equinox. Yeah, the Equinox. Uh, so the two-part Equinox in that, uh, that was focusing on a Starfleet crew that was, you know, in sort of the ship for a long, long period of time. And it's discipline or ideals or, you know, scruples were being run a little ragged or something. And so I think they're going for something similar here. Uh, there is also, of course, the cadet angle, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, and it's a Nog spotlight, so we haven't had one of those in a while, have we? Yeah, I'm trying to think what it's the last one... It's been like a one. season. Yeah, what was the last one? Um, I mean, I know uh, Siege of AR-558 is coming up next season, and that's pro- and then, then maybe Paper Moon uh, are, are, is, is, I think, his best episode. Um this is a fun one. I have one structural complaint with this episode, and I'll get to it when it's appropriate to discuss. But I do remember liking this episode. I like the idea of this episode. It's kind. Of, what I always saw it was is this kind of like twist on the Wesley Wesley Crusher trope. Like because of the way it was written in a very '80s after-school special kind of way, Wesley was always at worst overwhelmed by the expectations. I. I, we all know that person who, because they're naturally talented, is hyper-praised for it, but it makes them a jerk instead of making them, you know, better. And I, I, I think this is like a interesting twist on what it must be like to be a preternaturally talented youngster in the Federation. Like, your access to resources and training and responsibility, and what happens if that's not handled appropriately. Is is how is the story I I always thought was the kind of interesting thread underlying, um, the story because you know we've gotten between Picard and Kirk, two sort of opposite but ultimately ending in similar places stories of Kirk the the bookworm who learned to let go and Picard the you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, rebels the wrong word the. You know, just the the carefree guy who learned to take responsibility. Both ending up as being good captains. They needed they needed to learn uh, through experience to become better officers. So we get to see what that's like if you if you have all of that talent but none of that seasoning, what that looks like. And that that that's I was I thought that was an interesting story to tell. All right. Well, why don't we start and we can dive in. All right. I am queued up. All right. So let's all. Press play simultaneously in three, two, one, press play. Okay, we're opening in the bar. Yeah, you know, they don't focus much on the, that sort of window. Uh, I guess you can buy a drink and then just drink it on the promenade or something. I, I would. I it would be hilarious if uh, DS9 had a, op- uh, it just didn't have a open container law. You would think that that would be the kind of thing that Odo would be very serious about prosecuting. <laughs> do they are they supposed to have sort of like a seating area? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think they thought that out. I think they just wanted people in the background loudly demanding things. Yeah. Also, have these people never been to a bar before? If you, you, you say something bitchy to the bartender about how long your drink is taking and see how much longer it takes, like. <laughs> Well, I mean, maybe Cork is different than some human bartenders. And again, we have the sort of things broken on Deep Space Nine, which I'm kind of a little bit over that story idea. (laughs) It's being played for laughs. It's not a central plot, but I, I do always wonder... Like, what's the difference between the replicated and unreplicated drink beyond some philosophical distinction you're making? Like, what does what does Quark sell from his replicator 
that you couldn't replicate yourself unless we've as we've discussed before unless replicator patterns themselves are you know protected and could thus be uh commodified yeah <laughs> i don't want to know what the replicator made to make that <laughs> Okay, between we've talked about this before too. Between Bashir and Quark, I find Quark's pining far less problematic because it's it's soft enough, and he never is aggressive about it. Like he kind of he acknowledges it exists, and that's it. So it never it doesn't take over his character the way I think it did for Bashir. Yeah, um, I do have a more meta problem though, which is just the writers focusing on different character different male characters crushes on one female character and their disdain for her life choices. I mean, don't get me wrong. We also weren't, ended up being ice. You started there. I certainly ended up there um, after rewatching, not thrilled with her choice of Worf as a life partner, but there does seem to be that threat of, Oh, one day she'll realize I'm the one for her. And that is kind of, that is an annoying trope of many genres of fiction and not just sci-fi. It's very condescending. Yeah. It treats, women's choices as if they're made in a cavalier fashion and it's only a question of you changing her mind to the point that you know she realizes what a dunce right. she's well, it been. also it also treats uh human relationships i i forget where i read it it was on facebook i think in the other day it's like women are not slot machines in which you put in coins of niceness oh, no yeah friend zone is a stupid phrase because women are not slot machines that you put in coins of niceness until sex comes out it, it, it just treats attraction and compatibility as these very mathematical like if i treat her this way then she will like me and we will be together rather than if she likes you you will be together it yeah Okay, so now now we're moving on to the kind of A plot here with uh, focusing on Nog and Jake. And it's actually uh, it's, it's even longer than it's been since we've gotten a Jake or a Nog story. I think it's been seasons since we got a Jake and Nog story. Yeah. I mean, I think the last time they were on a runabout together may have been Jem'Hadar. <laughs> and there have been several episodes without uh, Jake present yeah. at all. Um, you know, so Jake wants an interview with Grand Negasa. That, that, it's that's nice a, that he has his own concerns. I, I appreciate that. Um, that's probably the best shirt-vest combo he's yeah, ever worn. Definitely. Uh, Sir Lofton is maturing into a, a fine-looking young man, I guess. I, this is an angle we've never gotten before in the runabout. Like, behind the left co-pilot chair looking for i don't know why it just struck me that that's a new shot yeah. uh this is for, for 90s cgi i think this is a well composited shot it's a little clear that they copied and pasted uh the Jem'Hadar approach but you know okay ships in formation might look like they were doing that um not mad not mad these are some nice sort of camera moves too it, you know it just yeah. it, lends a certain uh, dynamic nature yeah. that is often missing um, in space shuttle slash runabout yeah. sort of scenes. You know, you never really feel like it's flying, which in some ways, you know, makes sense for space travel, but in yeah. sort of a dramatic way. I also like that Nog, Nog's first act was to run because that was the correct thing to do. They could not yeah. help the starbase. Getting themselves killed doesn't help anyone. It makes me respect Nog's decision making that he can make a tough call quickly and accurately. It's like yeah. good for the character, and it sets up the conflict for his character later in the show. Like we know he's fundamentally a good officer, and in fact, a better officer than anyone else on the Valiant. So it'll be interesting to see how his desire for acceptance, or his—I'm you know, spoiling lots of plot elements here—or his uh, desire to feel appreciated. Um, will will play out yeah so as far as the dominion war is going uh what do we have here we've got the romulans have just entered the war on the side of the allies so to speak um you know how how does the war feel to you as a thing you know there have been several episodes that 
kind of haven't done much yeah. to advance it. I don't know. Like, I enjoyed it when I was watching it because I, I think if every episode were about the war in a way that implied a turn, a, a like turning point in the war was happening once a week, that would start to feel cheap. When, like, when when you read about the history of like World War Two, between the big battles, there were weeks of. The war is a fact of life. You are rationing butter and rubber, and your fa- some of your family's off fighting, and it was like that yesterday, and will be like that tomorrow. So, I actually don't mind the idea that there are stretches of time for which the perpetual state of conflict is there, but it is not a centerpiece of everyone's focus, and major events are not happening every single day because that doesn't seem credible either. They yeah, well, that's one of the reasons I really liked um, statistical probabilities. You know, it's not a fighting episode, but it's talking about the war in an interesting sort of philosophical way. This is good dialogue between them. Uh, Aaron Eisenberg has a certain look on his face where he looks like he's almost overwhelmed. I think it's because of the teeth, and he has yeah. to like hold his mouth open in a certain way. Yeah, it looks like he's like, like it's like sucking air through his teeth. Yeah, I get, yeah, I get what you mean. <laughs> the uh, the the flexible durability of the runabout—it's always as long as the plot requires. Some nice lighting. Yeah, yeah, some good explosion work, yeah. Good, really good uh, space shots. Like, there's an arc, there's scale, there's, yeah, it it just moves well. Some good space acting from, from actors who don't normally have to do that. Yeah. Okay, I I was looking very quickly. I'd have to go back and watch it in slow mo, but I think they did correctly re-sign the the ship, uh, so it's not just a straight up reuse of the Defiant model, hoping we wouldn't notice the difference. <laughs> That's kind of a weird scene. Jake is sort of yelling something stupid and then gets blown off his chair. I feel like one, either one of those things would be good on its own. Yeah. Okay, I like the um, continuity. I'm trying to think. This looks like Nog's previous cadet uniform, right? Because uh, it was gray with the red accents and the red head and the red head skirt, if memory. Yeah, but this is like the the new version because it's got. It's as if they're wearing a vest over. Yeah. An undershirt instead of it all being one piece. Okay, I, I will say for the conce- Okay, a couple of things. Uh, they they did a spiffy. Is new that paint. Paul Rudd? No, no, I get why it is not Paul Rudd, but it kind of looks like Paul Rudd, which would explain why I've had the hots for that man for the past ten years. Like, <laughs> twelve thirteen year old Kevin was very into the captain on this episode. Let me tell you, um, they really did a good job of casting people who look too young. Um, like yeah. they, they they really cast for people with like like they still have baby fat in their cheeks, so it's just like you act like rather than being like twenty five playing nineteen, they look nineteen. Like they they really nailed it. They look younger than Sherlock Lofton, who I believe is actually eighteen or nineteen at this point. Yeah, I think they've done a pretty good job of dressing them too, so that their uniforms don't fit terribly well. Or like like the shoulders feel a little too like like once he gets like that extra half inch of height and a little bulk in his chest, the shoulders will portion will be better proportioned to his body. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, like I get it. Like it looks like they're wearing their parents. It's like like a kid wearing his father's suit jacket. Tim Waters. Like, if this were a movie about, like, 1980s boarding schools, this is the kid who's, like, hazing the protagonist. You can just tell. Just yeah. look at his fucking face. Like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, nerds. Like, that is a jock. <laughs> right there. 
So refresh my memory with Nog. Is he a full ensign or was it a battlefield commission? I, be- I believe it is a battlefield promotion, but I think it's a promotion. I believe it was not like a like it's not it's, he doesn't revert to a cadet at the end of the war. And I will accept a brevet promotion to ensign way more easily than I will to captain. So I have no problem with Nog. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. Kelly. Yeah, especially on the the women. It's partly how they're doing their hair too. Well, it looks inappropriate. Like a like it, it looks like it looks like the hairstyle adopted by a college freshman going off to their first interview. Like it just it it doesn't look like something they would normally pick for themselves, but they're trying to look professional and and older than they are. Like I, I it, it just the styling is really spot on. And I swear this girl might actually be sixteen. Like it just like like they, it's ridiculous how well they cast it. Um, I like this. Is there like smoke effects coming off of that? Yeah, there is. I like the little bit of history here that there's a older ship the cadets get to you know practice on. That's a nice little touch um it does strain credulity that even the most ambitious and reckless of starfleet cadets would decide that upon the death of all the actual commissioned officers in a state of war not try to make it home immediately well i have a problem with the idea that their mission is to circumnavigate the federation wouldn't that take like four or five years well let's see DS9 to Cestus 3 was eight weeks at high warp, and that obviously seemed to be a um, like straight line. So even if those are at opposite points, uh, pi times diameter circumference, so 32 weeks. Even assuming Deep Space 9 and Cestus 3 are at the opposite sides of a circle you can inscribe, that's still like 24, 25 weeks. That's several months at least. So that does seem like a crazy project for cadets in uh, on the eve of a war. Because it wasn't like the war came literally out of nowhere. It, people knew it was coming. I will say, the, the actor is doing a very good job of, like, the forced bravado. Like he he's yeah, acting, like he's trying to act like a captain. Yeah, and it's not working on purpose, and I I like it. I mean, I like the way they're pitching this for Nog as like a kind of wish fulfillment because he's made jokes about like like once he got promoted to ensign, saying how like someone would have to call him sir, and like and O'Brien goes, yeah, if anyone if you're in the center chair, no one's left to call you sir. Like that was so like it's not out of nowhere that he might be dazzled by this notion of of getting to to jump ahead on the career path like that. I mean that that's an understandable desire. It's not one that should be acted on, but I get it. So they're on Red Squadron, which I, have, like, I like the professionally designed logo. Is this uh, NASA's got mission patches for everything? I mean, I I don't mind it. It's a little. I bet you Waters made that himself. Like he had that replicated. Like there is actually just a mission patch for Red Squad for Red Squad, and he just had it blown up to put on his wall. I could totally see that. Um, well, it just makes it seem like it's like a, an official part of the academy and that the academy somehow uh adjudicates who is to be part of red squadron well don't they didn't they establish that in uh home from paradise lost that there was a specifically sanctioned group of elite cadets named red squad yeah i suppose it is that was their first appearance i'm just when i think about it i then think back to uh the first duty with Nova Squadron. And I'm just like, is this really something that seems like a good idea to <laughs> yeah. Starfleet Academy? Yeah. Let's let's give the cadets an inflated sense of their uh <laughs> like let's take a bunch of nineteen year olds and make them think they're in charge of each other. It's like the Stanford prison experiment or something. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I find it hard to believe they have an actual mission, especially at the eve of the war. I would buy a plot that said they were graduating cadets after three years instead of four to fill an increasing batch of vacancies. I would I could I could accept that as a like desperation maneuver, but the idea that you would send a bunch of untested 19-year-olds deep into enemy territory to do reconnaissance work does seem a little out there. It's not well, it's not overly even fatal. Even to the question of whether you would promote people quickly, I think the more realistic story given that there are, you know, trillions of citizens in the Federation is that you would just have many, many more cadets, some of whom weren't top-notch, and it would still take a while. Yeah, they've done a really good job of making these uniforms ill-fitting. Um, I assume it was intentional. Yeah. And they've well, made it so that the waists are a little too high. Yeah, and the pockets look really... Un- like, in that gray, the pockets are super unattractive in a way that in the black version, like that Wesley Crusher war, it's, a little, it's still a little sleeker as long as you don't have anything in them. They they look like they're wearing cargo pants, and it just that that doesn't make anyone look dignified. She's wearing an operations patch, which has still never really been explained. You know what? Let's let's not ask for too much from the universe. Um, I like this dialogue. There, it, it's it's organic enough. It's a little cheesy, but it makes like. I we've had that conversation like everyone's had that conversation where it's like you're from place A but you've never been to place near place A like that I think that's true for almost anyone it's like everyone who lives in France has been asked whether or not they've ever been to like Germany or Italy because it's you know right next door I so like the the conversation flow like was nice enough for me like it's a little it's a little schlocky because it's about the moon but I I bought it well hey I'm pleased that they addressed the idea of variable gravity, you know, that you couldn't have a colony on the moon where people would grow up in a healthy way if you were at normal moon gravity. And so, you know, it, that pleases me very deeply that the writers were thoughtful enough to address the question of a colony on the moon and whether it would have artificial gravity. I, I also like the way they talk about the colonization of the moon. Like, the, you know, they reference it in First Contact. It's like, it's an established thing. And I will say, the, the actress did a good job here of describing what is, just sounds like a beautiful thing to witness, and homesick. Like, she, she really nailed that, like, it, it, it plays as, like, overwhelmed and obviously the impact of you know just the trauma of whatever the the crew has gone through like all of it fits like it was it was a it could have veered into cheesy really easily and i think she nailed that really well it was a strangely offhand reference to god yeah yeah i don't think the word god has been uttered since star trek five oh no i mean maybe they well outside of like the bajorans yeah well, TNG had some very pejorative references to yeah. God, so. but never in a, a respectful, worshipful way. Uh, I'd like, and I love the the commander there. It's like she's, it's like she's trying to have resting bitch face. It's like she's working on it, and it's just, it's like, it's like they introduced. It's like Jerry Ryan's niece. Like she's not old enough to play the part yet. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I really like the portrayal of, you know, stress. Yeah. On, on this, you know, young cadet here. And of course, this is a story they never would have told on TOS. Oh, yeah. Probably not even on TNG. They would only have aliens be drug addicts. Yeah. On TNG. Yeah. So I appreciate this. Yeah, he's such a tool. <laughs> I just kind of want to punch him. Yeah, like like any other seasoned captain, even even Cisco at his most uh, scene chewing would have landed that conversation with a little more finesse <laughs> than Waters just did. Oh, I mean, I agree that his conversational style is lacking. I just mean just looking at him. Oh, yeah, no, you want to punch him right in his mouth. It's so weird, though, because he's got really narrow shoulders. 
like everyone else looks like their shoulders are quite broad and they're being emphasized by these uniforms, but his is really poorly tailored. And he's sort of holding himself in a certain way, or maybe he just has narrow shoulders. I mean, I like this. I liked this scene because it indicate like any seasoned officer would go, "Hmm, a civilian basically said hi. My name, my name's Jake. Where are you? Where are you from?" And it sent her into a spiral. Would be a would be a like a flag for the officer, not the person who said essentially hello. Like they picked as far as the ways they could have demonstrated their horrible command style this is a pretty good one the way water said may i call you jake it was such like a kid playing grown up i know you can picture like he should be wearing a blazer with his school's patch on it like <laughs> it reminds me a lot of programs that you might have been in in high school or something where you go to the state house and pretend to be legislators oh <laughs> uh, yeah yeah i can totally see it and like even this even what like in his head he must think this is some master stroke of emotional manipulation and it's not yeah and if uh yeah my okay so i mean here's a good a place as any to talk about my uh, the the one change I would make to this episode, and it's not to ding Sherlock Lofton's acting; it's to ding more the character development they've done to this point. I think had it been Quark and Nog in the runabout, Quark would have been a much better foil and seen right through Waters instantaneously, in a more dramatically satisfying way. Because there, there's a scene coming up, and we'll discuss it when we get to it. But Jake basically relies on, if my daddy were here, he would not do it this way. Which, while correct on a number of fronts, tends to suck the drama out of the argument and almost reduces Jake to their level. Whereas Quark could be like, you're insane. Like, Quark, Quark could just, you know, tell them like it is to their faces in a way that Jake, because of the way they've set up the character, seems unable to. And I think that would have been a more interesting climax for the story. It's interesting that they're giving us scenes only with the crew members yeah. of the gun. You know, it's a uh, it's daring. I don't know if it works. <laughs> it's daring. It looks like he has some sort of isolinear data rod in his computer there. Yeah. And it's like a tic tac container for pills. I always find it strange when people take pills without drinking on television. <laughs> Time saver. I guess. I mean, I, I like the basic thing that Jake is sort of realizing how good his dad is by comparison with these idiots. Yeah, okay, I appreciate that. That's an angle I had not necessarily considered. Um, do you think Nog drank the Kool-Aid too quickly? Well, I, I like the way that Jake and Nog are butting heads. Yeah, okay. And Jake kind of sees that Nog has been manipulated. God. 4.7. Jake is a tall boy. He he gets that from his father and his grandfather. He is like maybe it was just the angle of the shot, but like both of those actors well, come he's up to a nearly sternum. scraping every doorway. The the commander Karen there is uh, quite short. She's yeah. as short as Aaron Eisenberg. Oh, I hate when screens do that on TV uh -huh. when like the inverse reflects on the face. That's not how screens work. Please stop doing that. <laughs> they would blind you. Yeah. I mean, you would never be able to get anything done. And it's not doing it on anyone else in frame, which right. is what's extra stupid about it. I'll say that there's something interesting about the bridge, the pans of the bridge scene. Like there's tension on the bridge in 
you know, pri- our primary for our primary characters. But there's a obviously there's like a practiced ease. There's a rhythm they all fall into, and just the like background chatter and the and the movements of the actors seem much less smooth than than like their you know older counterparts, which makes sense. It's it's a nice touch. I remember I remember even liking this like the the entire room standing to attention it's something none of the other like the last starfleet officer to do the rigid formality when he walked in the room was Jellico oh, who was yeah. there to show us what a dick move it can be uh, I'm surprised Waters doesn't have people say captain on the bridge Like, it's just his plan is so stupid. Like, on what basis would you be, would you think it's a good, even like, like, wars are planned affairs. Like, you have no idea what the long term tactical goals of this are. You don't know what, like, it's just like you running this rogue operation, as well intentioned as it may be, just seems facially stupid. Ah, Delta radiation. <laughs> this is the dick move. Calling him out in front of everybody. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very, uh, like, it, the, the one reference I think that's kind of obvious here that we haven't discussed yet is Lord of the Flies. Like, what happens when, you know, the kids are left alone to fend for themselves and the kind of, like, horrifying high school social politics that I think you and I both recall with some degree of faded horror are clearly at play here. <laughs> yeah. Like, Picard, Cisco, Kirk, Janeway, they have this meeting with their senior staff where everyone's free and in fact encouraged to be blunt in their opinions, he's having a pep rally so that no one who wanted to could object. Yeah. And okay, here's the scene that I think Armin Shimmerman as Quark would have planted just deep in the end zone. Coming out of Jake's mouth because of the, because of the youth of, of this character, as well as invoking his father, it comes off somewhat petulant and immature itself, which undercuts the utility of the speech where I think if Quark could give like Quark can go toe to toe with Cisco about humanity and Federation ideals and Starfleet protocol. So I think Quark really could have dug into waters in an interesting way. And I think this is the scene that I think is supposed to most clearly reference Lord of the Rings, which is just the chanting really chanting. How long how long do you chant Red Squad in this situation? Like when does it peter out? Yeah, when does it start to feel weird? <laughs> I I gotta think after like four. Yeah. yeah. Maybe five. Uh, you know, I'm never gonna not love the torpedo prop. They've dusted that puppy off a few times and it it always delights me. I, I think the writing on Jake's little speechlet wasn't terribly good. Yeah. You know, like he didn't offer a reason. <laughs> You just said my dad wouldn't do this. Right. Why? Because it's insane. It's a risk of ship and crew for no, like, if nothing else, you're leading with your ego and not your brain. That makes you a bad captain. Like, there's a speed. Yeah, like I said, I think, I just think Cork would have shredded that man to bits. And maybe no one would have realized it because they're all stupid kids. But it would have been a much more interesting scene. I think that I would like this speech more if I felt it tied up to uh, uh, something else in Nog's history. Because it seems like like maybe if he were fresh out of the Academy still, this this would make more sense. But he's clearly an accepted part of the command staff of Deep Space Nine. Like, O'Brien treats him as his right-hand man. Cisco's proud of the work he's done. 
Martok has a grudging respect for the short kid who stood up to him. Like, it's not like he's lacking for real validation from real people. So maybe maybe that's my lingering concern for how quickly he gets on board. Yeah, I agree with that. And also, Jake's response to you don't understand is, um, yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've lived my entire life with a Starfleet officer who's doing all the things you've said. And like, yeah, my, like I watched my mother die on one of these things. I have no desire to do it again. Uh, yeah, that screen is really annoying. <laughs> Um, it's not how screens work. <laughs> it's like you just turn the brightness down if it were <laughs> doing that to you. Well, also, just the, it, it's not projecting. It's not a projector. <laughs> like you're not staring into a projection. Like that. Just like the way light focuses and resolves. You know, I've watched this episode a bunch. I never noticed the, the operations guy was was a trill. Yeah, I did notice that. What I want to know is what they're doing running around the ship with phaser rifles. Right. Like, are they expecting... I guess they could expecting to be boarded, but... it's a, it, it does feel like a little bit of filler. Definitely. <laughs> I will say, I enjoy uh, almost all of the little, like decor changes they made to separate it from the defiant like uh i just rewatched contagion from tng uh over the weekend and like the you could tell that the horseshoe uh rail had a different color on the yamato than the enterprise little stuff like that always makes me happy yeah oh my god he has he still has acne i mean it's just You, would you really think a Vulcan would be buying this bullshit? I remember thinking that explicitly uh, in my head when I saw the Vulcan girl in the mess hall chanting Red Squad. I'm like... Hmm. You'd think they could replicate uniforms that fit better. <laughs> I will say what uh, is something maybe it's because Aaron Eisenberg has just been doing it longer he has a comfort in the chair and with the space that the other actors don't and I'm sure that's being played up to accentuate the plot point but it's it's a nice touch like he seems more at ease at his job which which makes sense all right now correct me if I'm wrong but we've seen this model before it was at the battle for deep space nine right it was like the big ship that they destroyed to break through the lines of memory serves or am I yeah pretty sure Did they address in dialogue that there's another Defiant-class ship? Like, I thought the Defiant was a prototype, and it didn't work. Well, it didn't work at the time. I think um, we'd have to check when the episode aired, but if you watch um, Lifeline, not Lifeline, uh, Message in a Bottle on Voyager, one of the ships that rescues the Prometheus is a Defiant-class starship. Maybe two of the three, actually. Like, at some point, I took it as read that there were other Defiant-class ships in operation. It's, of course, confirmed by one of the dumber plot points um, at the end of Season 7, which is to do the awesome thing and destroy the Defiant on the eve of the final battle and then replace it with an identical ship an episode later. Yeah. Like, it just... There's no scene in which someone just says, you know what, you're not a captain. <laughs> and that's not a lieutenant, and she's not a commander. It's like, you're all just play-acting. And you would think if someone just sort of laid it out like that, that it would crumble. Well, see, because here's, here's, here's the other solution for the Quark instead of Jake thing. Quark can say that. You're not a yeah. captain, you're not a commander, and Nog could stand up to him not because he agrees with Waters, but because he wants to prove to Quark that this was the correct career choice, to stick it to Quark for not believing in him, blah, blah, blah. That would actually give a more credible through line for why Nog would jump on board with these people so quickly, not because they're offering him something, but because he's doing it opposite his uncle. That I could buy. 
Uh, some good CGI work. Uh, I like the approach on the ship. I like the fly through before. It looked a little CGI right when they were slipping under the arch. But, um, yeah. But I like the schematic that they're showing, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they all look super overwhelmed. It's it's good acting. I mean, they may be young actors, but they're good actors. Yeah. That is some CGI right there. It's not an it's not unforgivable, but it is CGI. Yeah, the explosions are <laughs> not the best. And is really, uh oh, <laughs> it was all just fire. Is no one ever gonna say, you know, it's like, what if this isn't part of Starfleet's master strategy? Right, know? that's what I was saying. Like, like, what if letting this ship go unmolested is part of a larger feint? Like, it's like, do you let them know you've cracked the code? Like, there, there are decisions. Like, you don't have the authority to actually decide to take this course of action. Like, even if I buy the you're finishing your mission, you don't get to amend your mission on the fly. Yeah. Without like, checking finish that out. one mission and then go home and let the grown-ups take over. Yeah. With this advanced Piece warship yeah. that could be very useful to an actual war effort. Yeah, yeah. So, like, as much as I enjoy, you know, the portrayal of people in over their heads, I, even if they're full of this hubris, someone has to say. Like, someone you know, has to be the grown-up in the room? Well, now it's time to go home, you know? Yeah. Um, I will say I liked um, what's her face the the operation the chief I liked her I like her acting here she she's acting like she's thinking through what is clearly a concussion like there there's like a it's like slightly slower pitch to her line reading that looks like she's trying to think through a head injury it's it's, it's good acting choices yeah I do find it somewhat convenient that everybody but Nog <laughs> has had their well, Nog remembered to disable the fireworks under his console. Like <laughs> that—that's one of those uh, pro tips they don't teach you at the academy. It's good set work. I'm sure who I'm sure whoever was directing next week's episode on the Defiant was super pissed at all the war cleanup work they had to do. <laughs> and like his guard is dead but he's not eh. <laughs> i i can live with it it's not the dumbest i like the escape pod work that was that looks good uh poor guys the the two pods being blasted out of the ship was really it was like that that like made me go oh that's awful like that was like really a good a well done shot Particle work is good on the explosion. Yeah, overall, a very nice explosion uh, for the whole ship. How did this escape pod get away, though? And it's like, and then they got away for some reason. So here's the grown-ups in their grown-up jammies. Notice on the real Defiant, no one has that reverse projection problem. <laughs> yeah. How, how did this escape pod send a signal far enough, fast enough? That didn't attract dominion attention, yes. Yes, I understand your problem. Well, and that they recognize it. and it, It's just... I would have liked it better if... Cisco had had the Defiant out looking for Jake and Nog. Well, I think he was. Like, I think that I was there. A cat. I missed the reading. It was there some piece of dialogue. I, I, that was. I just assumed that that's why they were out there. Oh, uh, maybe. Like, it's just, it's just too convenient that 
everyone is dead except the, the the three people we need for the for the denouement. Yeah. <laughs> Fractured skull. This vest isn't as good as the other vest. It's not bad. I'm not a big fan of the sort of color patterny thing. Looks like something he bought at Garrick's shop because of the square cut neck. Yeah. This these are good lines because they're, you know, harking back to what Jake is actually doing. You know. Yeah. And Aaron Eisenberg is nailing these lines. Yeah. You know, it's something I, w I was thinking about while, we while we've been talking about command styles and seasoning and whatnot. Like, you know, one of the theses we identified in the original series was, you know, what you do with command and power and the technology at your disposal and what makes a good captain and a bad captain. It's, this is an interesting addition to that. It's not the best. But it's interesting. Her dialogue is very weird to me. Like she's still like I I could understand her clinging to the idea that Waters was a good captain because if he's not a good captain, then oh my god, every decision she's made for the past like eight months has been terrible, terrible. <laughs> I so I get why she's clinging to the delusion, but I do like Nog's line here. Okay, maybe not. He's not a great man. He was never going to be a great man. He wasn't a man. <laughs> Thank you. But I like that they at least punctuated with the right line. He was a bad... Like, whatever else you think about him personally, he was still a bad captain. That is undeniably true. <laughs> no, I'm... So, I'm not, like, offended that she called him a great man. It just shows how deluded she is. Uh, he was a child. You know? Uh, nobody who is 18 is a great man. Not in World War II. What about Alexander not... the Great? He was like 23, 24 before he was winning battles. Okay, okay. Just... And he was in his 30s by the time he was really conquering vast okay. swaths of territory. Okay, just, 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 just a spot check. He's the, he's the one go-to for, you know, I'm, I'm better at life than you. Um... Oh, I mean, he's young. That, that's certainly true. Um... It, just a, a brief aside, you know, there have been something like four deaths in high school football this year. And one of the things that really stuck out to me was this, I guess it was Instagram or Twitter or something. And, you know, some dipshit football player was, you know, waxing rhapsodic about how the quarterback, who was the one who died after a hard hit, uh, was a great man, and if I can only live to be half the man that he was, you know, I'll be doing a great job. And it's it's actually quite an analogous situation, you know, sort of children whose brains aren't fully developed making decisions uh, for their own safety as if they were truly in control and were capable of offering meaningful uh, consent to those decisions. Um, he, he's not a man. The, the football player who died because of a hard hit was not a man. He was a boy. And boys and girls should not be in situations like this. Now, given the particulars of the story, you know, I get it. You know, I do find it convenient, again, that all the adults died. You know, I mean, what, what was the deal? Like, they only had one adult captain and that guy died and everybody else was fine. I, th there are, there are elements to this that strain my credulity, but that said in no way does it strain my credulity to the point that Star Trek 2009 does, or <laughs> I suppose into darkness because it's the same fucking crew. 
um, you know, they reap, the Valiant crew reaps the natural conclusion that would come from having vastly inexperienced, uh, you know, people without the requisite mental and emotional skills to be doing this. But they, they get what's coming to them, you know, whereas in the new movies, they ask us, the audience, to treat the situation as if it's perfectly normal and that they're doing things that make sense and that it makes sense, you know. So for whatever problems I have with this, it ends the way it should. <laughs> Star Trek 2009 should end with the crew dying because, you know, James Kirk in that universe is a fucking moron who doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground, doesn't have any of the experience that 12 or 14 or 16 years of actual, you know, time and space would give him, you know, like Pike should have just saved the day and flunked them all out of the Academy or something. I don't know. We shouldn't turn this into a rant about JJ Abrams and the reboot movies. Uh, I'm just trying to make a contrast here, you know, so for whatever problems I have, I like that it ends the way it ends. And I agree with you, Kevin, that the last line is a good summation. You know, uh, he's a bad captain. But is he bad because of his character? Or is he bad because he's a kid? Do you think they answer I, that? I, I don't think they do, but I'm happy to leave that unanswered. Like, And again, because, you know, Picard was apparently a jackass as a cadet and you know, like, there are those moments that snap you. Like, all teenagers are deeply annoying. That's just a fact of life. When you interact with well, them as adults, you're like, oh, my God, was this what I was like at that age? How was I not th throttled? But Picard and uh, Court, Corey, Cordy, Zweller, yeah, Court and, Zweller, and yeah. you know, Marta Botanides, you know, they're all kids. And they all make poor decisions, you know? Because they're kids. Right. And then they, they have no sort of notion, no deeply held notion of potential consequences and the, the real ability to gauge risks right. and rewards. Everything's always been fixable. Even, even huge screw ups as a child are largely repairable on purpose. Like we, we tell you, it may not always be this way, but we're going to let you have this mulligan because of your age. So, like, I, I think had he survived this experience, he might have eventually turned into a much better captain. He did seem like kind of a jerk, but hey, he was also addicted to caffeine pills and hadn't slept in a week. So you never, I mean, you know, back and forth. Well, presumably um, he had qualities that made him a viable get appointed to, to Red Squadron. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, like, I mean, I, and I actually think that's a strength of the episode, both in terms of the writing and the acting. You can see it as kid in in over his head trying too hard to compensate and really, really fucking it up. And you can also see it as kid who was probably always a jerk, always going to be a jerk, being a jerk. I could see both reading. Like, you know, we, we've been making jokes the whole episode about how he looks like the kid in every coming of age movie who's a jerk to the protagonist he just had just 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 that smug arrogance on his face and i get that it could also be he needs that life lesson of falling on his ass to like make him understand both you know the risks like what you need to succeed and the risks of if you don't like that i could i could see it both ways well and so i think the story would be stronger if there were a more explicit addressing of the idea of groupthink uh, you know, the notion that the decisions made in a group end up being more extreme than individual decisions might be. Right. If they were, if they would show him having some doubt, but then being pushed by his crew. Right. You know, and so, so I, mean, I, I, get, I think they were, they were more of a feedback loop. I think know. they tried to do that with the mess hall scene with Nog, where Nog expresses doubt and they're shouted down. Jake expresses doubt and shouted down. Like I, I think they were almost there. Like I almost wonder if this, if the episode would have been better for some final scene between Waters and Cisco, or really anyone in the command chain, 
like an actual adult to really put him in his place. Like I, I, I mean, it, it's fine that he died, and it was a dramatic death. That that chair got really pummeled. Um, I just think it might have been interesting had he been able to have a scene, um, with a more experienced officer to give some perspective. It, I, I mean, it might it might have been too much, and it might have paused uh, what was otherwise a well-paced episode stuff built appropriately i think the only part that dragged was that weird fixing stuff montage that really should have been set to some power 80s ballad but other than that i think the episode actually moved along in a nice clip and never felt slow or boring yeah they, they could have spent the montage time with some self-doubt uh, i agree i actually think it would be good um if they had allowed the Waters character to come to terms with his poor decisions, you know, even if it's like right before his face blows up or something. Um, you know, it's like I've made a mistake, you know. Yeah. Um, because that that might lend a little more credence to the idea that this kid was ever put in this position in yeah. the first place. Yeah. You know, like you've got to think that there are enough people with experience, especially experience evaluating cadets. I mean, they they go to a planet of play actors where they live out your worst fear. You know, it's, it's like I think they have a pretty well-developed uh, psychological evaluation apparatus at Starfleet Academy. Um, you know, there's got to be someone who knows that this kid could go off the deep end like this, you know. And so, well, it's like it's like I I would have killed for like the random civilian they picked up could have been Paul Stubbs or something like th th that's what's been I've been uh, a fragment of conversation has been looping around in my head all episode and I finally remembered what it's from it's Stubbs talking to Wesley in Evolution about the dangers of potential and expectation yeah like in a different environment that is less overtly nurturing than the Enterprise D the place I hope I go when I die. Um, Wesley could have turned into a real jackass. Like being that talented and having that much given to you as a result of what people expect from you without being tempered by a man like Picard to really drive home the weight of your responsibility. Like what if Wesley hadn't been caught um, in, in first duty? What if they get away with it? What does that do to Wesley's personality? I, I think there's an. I think he would have become a Tom Paris type. You think? He, uh, you think the guilt would have gotten to him, and he would have. He would have. Bolted? Yeah, I, I think he was already habituated to the point where he would beat himself up over it for the rest of his life. Yeah, I get that. I I, I can see. It. I'm just I, I'm just kind of playing with the story. Well, like so what I'm saying is, I think if they had shown a little more depth to Waters' characterization, you know, if they had given him some actual self doubt or some recognition that he screwed up royal uh that that would make the fact that he's in this position slightly more realistic okay i i i i would agree with that i almost think this is a, this is one of those stories that i think cries out for like the novel treatment um because you were never going to get enough time in someone else's tv show to tell this story i think this would have been an interesting like side story to develop in a book form i think it would have really lent itself to some some interesting ideas but like i said I, I think the idea is fertile and i think they managed to get a lot out of it maybe not as much as they could have but a a, a solid well-rounded episode yeah i definitely agree it's solid it's very entertaining um you know so writing wise i think we've mulled over the the various flaws and the various uh, good aspects as far as acting um you know pretty well done all around i thought sir often had yeah yeah normally yeah scenes. for what he for the writing he had i thought he did a good job and um i gotta say the other acting like you're acting is not easy it's like trying to dance badly on purpose um so like the the, the sense of we're covering uh that all the teenage actors had really landed like I, I really bought like to any seasoned adult it's painted on your face that you are in over your head but you think it isn't and that's that is an interest that is a very narrow line to walk and I think they all succeeded um 
as far as production values, there's a, there were a few cheesy CGI explosions and stuff, um, but overall it was uh, at least average, if not above average, compared oh, yeah. to yeah. some of the other battle shows we've gotten. So oh yeah, yeah. The the work on the Defiant model was great. The um, I I believe it was a conscious choice, uh, and I'll confirm it in the memory alpha site later. But I want to say the uniforms had to be a conscious choice to like between casting and costuming. They were really digging home how like ill-equipped these kids were. Um, but yeah, overall, I really liked it. Like it was a thoroughly produced episode. Like, and everything really really worked for me. Well, so what do you think it is? Uh, does it make it into a four? I think is the question. I think it's at least a three. I think a two is squarely off the table. It's simply yeah, flatly. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely know. a three. My, you know. uh, is it a four? You know, hmm. I think it presents an interesting look at other people in Starfleet and the way s- that life might affect people. Um, like, be, like everyone who goes to Starfleet in the show tends to discuss how their entire lives from conception were geared toward going to Starfleet. There's been very few characters that dropped into San Francisco on a whim on their 18th birthday. So I think this is an interesting look at the flip side of what that much expectation and that much ego stroking that the le- the level of success you need to get to get into the Academy has to you, like... You you have an entire organization made up of chess prodigies, and they're all they're already a little crazy. Like I, I think that's an interesting look. I think the drama builds well, and I think it resolves on the right notes. I, I and the production was also really good. I I think in every respect everything was at least a little above average, and in the balance I think it'll squeak into a four for me. I think. I think to some degree you're filling in the gaps with your own imagination, which is something to say for an episode that it that it inspires a person to do that and that it that it leaves room for that. Um, I can't help but feel a little disappointed uh, that some of the sort of bigger ideas weren't uh, really well developed. Um, so I think it stays at a three. Okay, yeah, that, that's com- if if we were giving out fine grain assessments, it'd be like a four point oh one. Like it's like it's it's just inside that line for me. Like I yeah. I, I I think there's just enough there, um, and I'm I'm also working very hard to make sure that my undiminished crush with time on the actor playing Captain Waters is not unduly influencing my score. And I th- I think I'm not. I think I'm I'm. I'm setting aside. No, I don't uh, sense that that's the 15 case. Year, Fifteen-year-old Kevin, little pink hearts, d- doodling his name in my notebook. It was really, it was really sad. Um, he's such a jerk too, which really says something about fifteen-year-old Kevin. Um, okay, so I, I think it's it's the s- problem with not having gay marriage back then yeah. is that you couldn't like write Kevin Waters, you know, or did you? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'll, if I find the notebook, I'll let you know. Um, so I think actually seven out of ten is is a good score for this one. I think it's I think it's above a six, but maybe not quite an eight. To me, it's it's squarely in the the good solid average part of the bell curve. It's entertaining to watch, but there are too many questions that nag me for me to say it's squarely above average. Okay, I'll, I'll say the, the questions more intrigue me than nag me. Like the the unanswered stuff feels like. Well, you have 43 minutes to tell a show, and there's fertile ground for thinking about it later. So, but I'm, I'm, I, I, I can live with that. I think I, I think uh, both scores are, are valid. Yeah, th- this isn't one of those times where I'm like, what the hell are you thinking? <laughs> well, I'm not saying it's two or something. Yeah, yeah. We're not. Um, I think Equinox is a better story. It's also a two-parter, which helps it significantly. If this had been a two-parter, people might have gotten annoyed and, you know, like, sick of it. Like, why the hell are you spending so much time on this? On, you know, this random other crew. Uh, 
part of that is the the basic setup. I mean, we only have Actually, two of that, our cast would, members I, I interacting. I can't believe I'm going to say this. So write it down because it's not going to happen very often. Would this have worked better as a Voyager show? A ship full of cadets also pulled in by the caretaker. Now they're on their own. Now the Lord of the Flies things really, really works. Yeah, it would I think be a it would have. And I think Equinox basically is this show, except with a grown-up crew and a little, more, little different moral tint. Yeah, but, but it's a mature crew. Yeah. You know, and I think it's better for that. It's a, ma- a mature crew. I, I think that, I think what nags me so much is that they are cadets, and that they wouldn't just go home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? it does. It really na- Yeah, maybe if they were like ensigns and lieutenants, but even that would still be like, well, now you actually have ju- you, like, do you know how many reports Starfleet files? You're in a bureaucratic organization. You know there are rules, and you know there are consequences, and you can't just cavalierly go off and do stuff i mean well i just no one even among this group of cadets said you know shouldn't we coordinate our activities like even if i believe that we're capable of carrying out missions shouldn't we get some missions yeah instead of just eh, we're just out on our own recognizance you know yeah yeah no one does that no one yeah just uh and they know enough that, like, they've taken their history courses in Starfleet. You know, it's like they know that what they're doing is essentially unprecedented. Right. Like, like, say you succeeded in destroying the ship, and it causes the Dominion to radically alter its uh, material distribution, upsetting plans that have been in effect for a year. Like, that's a big deal. Like, that's a thing. There's a reason they asked you to reconnaissance to re- to recon, not to destroy. Like, that's just silly. Okay. Okay. We we we've hashed that point. Well, I think I, th- I think we we've locked it down. Um, okay. So seven out of ten for Valiant. I think that's a f- fair score. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed the episode and uh, enjoyed rewatching it. And uh, I think that that's all I have for. for yeah, the it was certainly interesting. Yeah. If you say nothing else about it, it's interesting, and that's that says something. Yeah. All right, uh, and have a good night, everyone. I think uh, we'll be back for the season finale of uh, season six uh, for our next podcast and uh, wrapping up the rest of the season, hopefully, in the next uh, few weeks. Yeah, all right. Well, live long and prosper. Have a good night.